Hey friends, I'm Christine Chapel, and you're listening to the Hope and Help podcast from IBCD, where we host biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. In this episode, I chat with Cheryl Marshall and Caroline Neuheiser about their book, When Words Matter Most, Speaking Truth with Grace to Those You Love. For more help on the topics we discussed today, visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help, where you can access notes from today's episode and browse related resources from our digital library. Before we get started, let me introduce you to my two guests. Cheryl Marshall is a wife, mom, counselor, and Bible teacher. She has over 25 years of experience teaching and discipling women, and she currently serves as Director of Women's Ministries at Founders Baptist Church in Spring, Texas. Caroline Neuheiser is an ACBC certified counselor. She has been a pastor's wife for over 30 years and is currently the assistant coordinator of women's counseling at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte. Caroline's ministries include counseling, blogging, and speaking to women's groups. Hey there, Cheryl and Caroline. Thank you so much for joining me for the show today. Thank you for having us. Well, before we get started in our conversation, I'm super excited to dive into uh, the content or some of the content of this brand new book of yours, When Words Matter Most, Speaking Truth with Grace to Those You Love. But I would love to hear from each of you about why you wanted to write this book in particular. So maybe Cheryl, would you start us off and then Caroline, could we hear some thoughts from you as well? Sure. Um, Several years ago, I was teaching a women's Bible study. Actually, it was Fundamentals of the Faith at our church, and I taught a few semesters of that. And at the first meeting of each semester, I would ask the ladies in the class, "Why why are you here? Why have you signed up to take this class? And inevitably, I would always hear someone or at least a couple women say, I'm taking this class because I want to learn the Bible better so that I can talk to so-and-so about the word of God, or I have a friend or a neighbor or a a sister who is struggling spiritually, and I want to know how to talk to her about the Bible. And so that just started made me, you know, helped me to see that women are wanting to learn the scriptures, not just for themselves, but also to speak with other women about it. So there was one afternoon that a woman stopped me in the hallway at church, and she said that her daughter-in-law had recently had a miscarriage. And she was asking me, what can I say to her from the scriptures to encourage her at this point? And so we just had a conversation about that. I took her to a passage and we sort of talked through it and talked about her daughter-in-law and how she could approach her daughter-in-law at that time. And so I walked away again from that saying, wow, there's another example of a woman who wants to know how to use God's word in the lives of those she loves. And she's been in the church for years. She's been in a well-taught church for many years, but she still wasn't sure what to say. And so I thought of the idea of the book and I immediately thought of Caroline because I knew just from knowing her that she has lived this for so many years. And she was an example to me early on in our marriage of this. And so I contacted her and we started working on it. That's right. Uh, I was excited when Cheryl contacted me because I've been speaking on these topics for a few years. And in fact, IBCD has a couple of the talks that Cheryl told me she'd listened to. One was Counseling in Weakness. So you can find that on ibcd.org, which is basically women should not be afraid. Even though we're weak, we should go ahead and minister to others. And another talk on the website is Women in the Word. So that one is something that Cheryl said, oh, yeah, I think that needs to be given to women at large. Yeah, we're excited to have this opportunity to do so. Well, I, I can't say enough good things about this book. I was gloating, I think, just a few minutes before this conversation started, but I'll do so here for the audience to hear as well. But just the way that you guys winsomely and graciously approach you know, how to speak the truth to those who are weary, weeping, wayward, or worried, it's, I just so appreciate the tone of this book, and I, I think it would be a really great blessing to those who go and get a copy of it. I want to direct the next question to Caroline, because Early in the book, you write, quote, three things are necessary to speak truth into the lives of those you love. And I love 
just in this book too, not only is it winsome in your delivery, but you are so practical. <laughs> you really kind of unpack these concepts to help us see what does this really look like in our everyday relationships. So for those three things that are necessary to speak truth into the lives of those you love, can you tell us what those things are and maybe just a little bit about why they're important? So we use the passage from Ephesians 4 about God equipping the church. And in that passage, we're talking about how we should do so and why. So the first thing we should do is be willing to speak the truth. We should not only be willing, but we need to actually know what the truth is. We need to understand God's word because otherwise we're telling people just phrases that are just cliches, but instead we want to speak truth, which is where change comes from. But also we need to know what the truth is and how to apply it. So we have to understand God's word. And all of that is with an attitude of grace and humility, love. And as uh, you've said, this is where I think our church is lacking and sometimes women are lacking. So we'd like to present that as the most important thing about our book. Yeah, I also love too how you just spent a few minutes touching on, you know, we need to have a willingness, right? Like a willingness even to to do this. And I think there was a part in your book where you're encouraging women, you know, uh, even though you say this book is also entirely applicable to male readers, and it most certainly is, but just the, in your guys's approach to the book, you know, you're, you're speaking to women, um, I think in most of your examples, but just the encouragement that, you know, you don't have to be an official counselor to be willing to want to do this, right? I mean, can you talk maybe a little bit more about, about, you know, the willingness component and just maybe even answering some of those fears of like, well, gosh, you know, but I'm not an official counselor. I don't have official training. So maybe, maybe I shouldn't. Every Christian is a counselor. Every Christian is a teacher. We are teaching people, our children, we're teaching our spouses, we're teaching our friends, our, our coworkers by our lives, but also by our words, what we say about the Lord, and even sometimes by what we don't say about the Lord. And so as we say in the book, don't let the word counsel scare you. Counsel is simply giving the truth of God's word to someone appropriate to their need. So what is it that they need to hear from God's word? And most likely God has already taught you something along those same lines that you can just turn around and share with them and encourage them or instruct them from God's word. So as far as the willingness, we are already counselors. It's more of an issue of what kind of counselor are we going to be? And so if we are just rooting ourselves in God's word and directing people back to Christ, then we are being faithful with speaking that truth in love. So Cheryl, you know, I'm, as I listen to you talk, I just think of, you know, even if someone gets over that kind of initial stumbling block of, oh, well, I'm not an official counselor, you know, they may still struggle even with, okay, well, I see that I'm called to do this, but boy, I am not equipped. I don't know. Like you said, even in your opening example of why you wanted to write this book, I don't know what to say. I don't know even if it's wise to say anything right now. And, and I love, again, how you guys in this book really make it practical for being sensitive and wise in timing. But Cheryl, I wonder, maybe you could talk for a minute, why is it such a challenge for us to even know where to begin with what words to say for someone who is, you know, walking through a season of worry or weariness, or maybe they've gone wayward, um, or they're just, you know, like you mentioned, walking through a season of grief and sorrow, and so they're weeping. Right. I think a lot of times we deal with fears that we're going to say the wrong thing. We're going to say it in the wrong way. We're going to say it maybe at the wrong time. And we're fearful that we may offend someone or that we might hurt someone with what we say or, or that we may just come across as foolish. And so as far as being ill-equipped, again, as Caroline was saying a few moments ago, that's why it's so important to be in the scriptures for yourself. Am I in the word of God and am I learning to apply it to my own life? And as I'm learning from the Lord, how it applies to my own life, then I can simply turn around and share that with others. Um, so we have to be thinking 
when we come to the scriptures, how am I to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of it? And it starts with our own selves, with our own lives. And then that willingness of being able to say, you know, this is a loving thing for this other person for me to step in to their situation and speak with them. This is a way for me to love them as Christ has loved me. He's given me this hope or he's given me this encouragement. He's given me this truth. And this other person who's close to me, this is just a way for me to love them. Another hesitation we might have to help somebody is that we've maybe not been through that personal experience. One time I was working at IBCD and somebody called in and said, I want to talk to a widow. But there was nobody working at the office that was a widow ready to counsel somebody. But we can say, we know truth. We know God's word is a comfort. It's a comfort to us in different situations. So we can say that we don't want to avoid talking to people just because we've not had that particular problem. It's still the word is sufficient. Yeah, I think I've wrestled with that just in my own personal life and knowing, you know, what to say and when, because I feel like for me, the Lord has grown me in my ability, you know, to be, I think, more confident in sharing the comforts he has given to me in a particular situation. So if someone comes to me and I can relate in some way, probably not in all the ways, but in some way relate to what they're going through, you know, I find it much more easy for me to speak truth with grace in that situation, just because I know how the Lord has worked in my life in that particular instance, and I can share that. But then when you get to a point where you're like, gosh, that's something I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to say in that moment. You're so right, Caroline, just to encourage us. Well, God's word has something to say, you know, even in our, our weakness or our limitations, you know, that the Lord can use that for us to maybe not speak too quickly and then go and research or perhaps study and, and be more wise so that we can handle that person's particular trouble or pain, you know, in a, a winsome and compassionate way. Thank you guys so much for just kind of touching on that. Cause I think it is a challenge for all of us at one point or another. Uh, Caroline, I'd love for us to spend a few minutes reflecting on Ephesians 4, specifically verses 11 through 16. I'm going to read that for us just so we're all on the same page and the listeners know where we're at as well. The scripture says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What a beautiful passage of scripture that is. And I love that you bring that into focus for us in the book. I wonder, there's a part where you focus specifically on verse 13, and you say that Paul gives us three goals to pursue for building up the body of Christ. Do you mind just sharing what those three goals are and why it's good for us to prioritize them in our relationships? Sure, I'm glad you asked that question because I feel like that's a summary statement of our book. So we want to build up the body of Christ by unity of the faith. And we define that as faith is the doctrines and teaching of scripture. So there are basics that we want to emphasize and we want to stress the unity we have in faith, which also takes us beyond age groups. It takes us beyond cultural groups. It takes us beyond socioeconomic groups into unity of the faith. But that is not only unity of faith, but knowledge of the Son of God. As I was telling somebody this morning, our faith is not religion, it's relationship. So knowledge of the Son of God is really what we need to promote when we speak to one another. That's when our words really matter most. But the third thing is mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we want to become like Christ. And 
as I was thinking about this, I've just spent time with my family and especially my sister and I were roommates for a few days. And I began conforming myself to how my sister spoke and how my sister reacted. She's a godly, admirable person. If I were next to her, you'd say, yeah, you two are very much alike. Well, we just spent intense time together. And I was becoming more like her in all her godly qualities. So as we spend time with Christ, knowing him, we're growing into maturity. We're becoming Christ-like just by adopting his thoughts, his presence, his teachings. I think there was a quote I read in one of your guys' articles yesterday that said something like, you know, it's true that Jesus loves us and meets us where we're at, but he doesn't leave us where we're at. And so just that idea of growing, right? Like growing up into the body of Christ and maturing in our faith, even through interpersonal ministry, like that's a main means by which we do mature and grow in Christ is just through the work of the Holy Spirit as we engage in Christian community and seek to minister to one another's and and fulfill all of those one another commands that are so precious to those who do believe on the Lord for salvation. And so I'm just thankful for your guys' encouragements and just to refocus our sights even on those goals for our relationships. Because I think sometimes, I know me personally, we might you know, I might view a particular relationship as, well, what can I get out of this person? How can this person serve, you know, my needs or my desires? And really, instead, you guys encourage us in the book to really embrace God's goals for our relationships. And, and that's entirely different, usually, at least for me, I'll just be honest, entirely different than maybe what I'm thinking of in that particular moment. So really great encouragements there. Now, Cheryl, maybe some of us feel like we've got a good understanding of God's word and what it has to offer to the world worried, the weary, the wayward, and the weeping, or just people who are having a difficult challenge in their lives. But maybe we don't do a good job being gracious while we're speaking God's truth to someone who needs to hear it. Can you talk about what it means to be a gracious friend? Sure. A gracious friend is basically marked by loving kindness. And that loving kindness is going to be reflected in her character in her conduct. And then of course we alliterate it. It's also in her conversation. And of course, none of us are that perfect, gracious friend. No one's perfect at this except for Jesus. He's the perfect, gracious friend, but we can strive to be like Christ in how we speak with one another. And that kind of loving kindness, that kind of graciousness, of course, begins in the heart. And so as we go through the book in one chapter, Caroline and I focus on the grace of God towards us, because the point is that we will not truly be gracious towards others until we have experienced God's grace, until we understand God's grace. And so we talk about God's grace towards us in justification, and we talk about his grace in sanctification and even in our future glory. So for example, in our justification, we learn humility. We learn to be patient with the sins of others or to be forgiving towards others as Christ has been forgiving towards us. In our sanctification, we learn to be patient with people in their weakness because God is patient with us in our sin and our weakness. We know that just as we are growing, others are growing. And so again, we can be patient with one another. And even in our future glory, we see God's grace towards us. And that helps us to endure, to persevere with others, to help them persevere. We're on this journey together. Someday God will make all things right and he'll make all things new. And so as Christians are considering God's grace towards us, that helps us to then turn around and be gracious towards those around us, not to be harsh, not to be impatient, not to be flippant with their problems, but to say, you know, this is real life. We all struggle, but we have a God who is good and a God who's been kind to us, and we're on this journey together. And so as we understand God's grace in our own hearts, then that then leads, of course, there's the fruit of that in our lives. And as I said, we talk about it in our character, and we talk about it in our conduct. But since we're talking about words in particular, there are a few key characteristics that we do mention 
um, that are the fruit of God's grace in our own hearts when it comes to our conversations. And first that we speak with self-control, that we are careful how we speak, that we are speaking with love. And sometimes we have to be slow to speak. Sometimes we have to be careful that we are not repeating the trials that someone has shared with us, that we are keeping their confidentiality, keeping their confidences so that we have self-control. Another thing is that we have wisdom. And of course, that wisdom is rooted in the scriptures. So as we were talking about, we need to be in the scriptures ourselves so that we can be sharing God's wisdom with others. And then we also talk, talk about hope and that as we meditate upon God's grace towards us in our future glory, we can then share that with others, share with them the character of God, the promises of God, that he will walk us through this and, and he will bring us through. And so those are just some of our thoughts on being a gracious friend. Do you have anything, Caroline? The only thing to add is that I have a couple talks on ibcd.org, guarding against gossip with really particular things to do and suggestions. Also longing for relationships. Some of the barriers we have towards relationships just from us and then um, the need for developing these deeper relationships. Yeah, thank you so much for continuing to point back to IBCD resources. I will be sure to link to all of the talks that you're recommending in the show notes. So if you're listening, don't don't switch yet. Finish the conversation. But then after the conversation, go check out those links on the show notes page for you where you can continue to hear from Caroline about these particular topics we're talking about today. Um, I, you know, I've got a quick follow-up question too, and I'll just, whoever wants to answer this can, can go for it. But I think I'm I'm hearing what you're saying, and I, I you know you just talked about what it means to be a gracious friend. So, if somebody's sitting there and they're listening and they're like, "Gosh, you know, I think I can improve. <laughs> I think I can improve on being a gracious friend, and I want to improve." What would you recommend for them to do? Maybe some next steps or some action items that they could do to practice or to just become or transform more into a gracious and wise friend who speaks the truth in a compassionate, timely way? Well, I'll just share with you from my own life how I have learned that. And that's by being around other gracious women. My husband, Philip, and I first met Jim and Caroline Neuheiser 20 plus years ago when we started attending the church where Jim was one of the pastors. And those years were very formative for my husband in preparing for ministry. But those years were very formative for me in that I really watched Caroline and some of the other women who were older than me and just being around them, being in conversations with them, seeing how they spoke to one another and to others and how they spoke to me. That was huge in my life. That was that really formed my approach for years to come. Actually, Caroline and I talk about one woman in particular in the book named Anna, Anna Jackson. And I even mentioned in the book that there have been many times in the last 20 years that I sit there and I think to myself, what would Anna say? What would she say? And how would she say it at this point? Because she was a real example to me. And so one of the things I would say to women in particular is um, find an older woman in the church who you see is a gracious woman and just ask her out for coffee. And you don't even tell her why, but you're just talking with her and listening to her and seeing how she speaks and just being around her will, will make a big difference. Also, it can be a peer. I have two or three women that I meet with on a regular basis just for coffee. We're not doing a Bible study in particular, but we are speaking about the Lord in our lives. And I have learned just so much from them over the years um, of just how to step into someone's life, to listen, and then to speak when it's appropriate. I would say amen to all that Cheryl has said. I would add maybe that if you want to become a gracious friend, don't hesitate, but try. Try to reach out to others knowing you're going to fail, you're flawed, um, you don't have to reach a certain element of perfection. And then as you're talking to people, try to uh, get their feedback. Say, I really want to be kind when I tell you this. And then 
ask them later, have I offended you or did I say something that hurt your feelings? Because I'm learning to be a gracious friend. One of the things that comes to mind is also being prayerful in your conversations. We have to depend upon the Lord to make us more of who he wants us to be. So even in those conversations, you can sit there and be saying, Lord, please give me wisdom. Please give me wisdom to know what to say next. Please give me wisdom to know how to say it. So again, just emphasizing that constant dependence upon the Lord in those conversations. I have to say, when I was reading this book, part of it yesterday, and I saw the name Anna in the book, I immediately said, I know her (laughs) because Anna Jackson was my IBCD counselor years ago when I was there. And I can't. And so while you were sharing in the book about how gracious with her words, Anna was like, I know it because I lived it. She was my counselor. And I do remember how kind and gracious she was on days when I came in and was just so discouraged or even struggling with hopelessness. I just am so thankful for her ministry. So anyway, if you're listening, Anna, we all say hello and thank you for your uh, godly example and how uh, the Lord has used you in our lives. So anyway, I thought that was really neat. Well, Carolyn, you know, many of us know what it's like to struggle to speak graciously when the person we're talking to for for whatever reason, is either reluctant or just outright refusing to listen to us in that moment. And so while you dive fairly deeply into this, with, and you call it in the book, When Grace is Tested, can you offer us some high-level biblical principles that will help us to navigate these kinds of conversations in general? I think it's an important question. And I'm glad you mentioned that because we don't want a book that's just fluffy and non-practical. We wanted to address this because we know people, including ourselves, who try to speak to others and they don't want to hear it or they're arguing back. So one of the points we make to begin with is to don't assume we know why they aren't listening. That's part of being gracious is to know, well, she may just have had an argument with her husband and she's riled up or we may have picked the wrong time to speak to her. So we don't know why she's responding that way. So be careful about that. We want to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4, 15. So maybe we're not speaking in love and that's why they're resisting us. Maybe we've gone into lecture mode or... Maybe we're nagging, like even our children. We want our, these book, this book to be helpful for parents with teenage kids, say. And if they're not listening, have we nagged them or are we repeating ourselves? Maybe um, we have actually said something that hurt them and they can respond in hurting us. So again, we want to be gracious in this section of Romans 12, um, particular 21 is saying we need to bless. If they respond harshly to us, turn around and bless them. And uh, I can just be saying something like, uh, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I'll pray for you. I'm really concerned and I want help. And that brings me to the verse Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, which is saying, you know, it's a, a gracious friend that actually does give a rebuke. So better are the faithful are the wounds of a friend. And sometimes when I'm about ready to say something, to correct someone, I'll say, because I'm your friend, I want to say something that I know will help you. For example, do you realize the way you spoke to your husband just then was not kind? And I'm telling you that because I'm going to faithfully wound you, as it says in Proverbs. And better is an open rebuke is another passage that says, you know, we do graciously confront one another. Remembering, though, that some of us may have a tendency to react verbally to people who are negative towards us. Remembering, though, that God's servant is not quarrelsome. So if you see attention rising and people arguing back, just don't quarrel. So just think about how Christ He didn't have words for people who were openly correcting him. He um, came to minister to his people, he said. He didn't want to get into arguments, and so that's what we uh, don't want to get into arguments with people. 
Yeah, really difficult situation there. And like, you know, kind of going into conflict and conflict resolution, which I know also IBCD has numerous resources on, and you can explore those on the website. But I think in, in the book, you go even more in depth into particular situations and how you can navigate those wisely and graciously. So thank you just for offering some, you know, kind of overall general biblical principles for, for those types of situations. Now, Cheryl, you write, quote, when we're burdened with worry, weariness, sin, or sorrow, we have a choice to build our lives either on the rock of God's word or the sand of human wisdom. So for the remainder of our conversation, I'd like for us to focus or to key in on one of these particular burdens. So for the listener, this particular book is broken down into part one and part two. And and part one, you're kind of laying out, you know, making the case for speaking the truth with grace and, and what that looks like. But you really get practical, especially in part two, specific to speaking the truth with grace to a friend who is either worried, weary, wayward, or weeping. And so I I, I want to pick just one of those for us to briefly talk about, just to give the listeners an idea of some of the things that you share in that part two of the book. Can you, Cheryl, share some guiding principles for how we might even begin to speak truth into someone's deep and painful tears and grief, maybe even suggest a Bible passage or two we might share as we seek to comfort those who are weeping? It's interesting that you chose the topic or the person who is weeping. Um, During the writing of this book, actually, one of my closest friends, her teenage son, tragically passed away. Of course, um, she and her husband and her family were grief-stricken and their hearts were broken. And I could not imagine exactly what they have gone through. But of course, as a friend, my heart broke with theirs. And so I was able to live a lot of this firsthand during the writing of the book. And the first thing I would say, especially with the onset of grief, you don't need to say much at all. A lot of your time is just going to be quiet, especially at the onset. And you're sitting with the person and you're weeping with them or you're just uh, listening to the comments that they may make as they begin processing what has just happened. Um, You sit, you hold each other, you cry, you listen. And um, as you progress from there, it's important that you really watch your words. You don't want to be saying things that are unhelpful. So not giving platitudes such as, I know it's all going to be okay, I know how you feel. No, you don't know how they feel. Or you're saying something like, it's all for the best. Those types of things are are not helpful with that grief. The other thing I learned is that your friend, especially if she's a believer, she will begin to process the biblical truth that she already knows. God has already filled her heart and mind with his truth over however long she has known him. And now she's walking through an extremely difficult time, but the spirit is there. The spirit indwells her. And it takes some patience and wisdom just to listen to her over the weeks and months and let her start to bring up the the truths of God's word that are meaningful to her. And she will be talking about things that she's holding on to. She will start to talk about things that she questions and things that she doubts. And I found it helpful on the level of knowing what to talk about, to wait for her to bring up the things of God that she wanted to talk about. And then I was able to come alongside her and reinforce those or help her think through those more biblically as she was processing her grief. And so the whole point is this, Walking through grief is a slow process. It's not something to be rushed. And so in the book, we have a chapter, as you mentioned, on truth for the weeping. And the passages that we include are Psalm 13, 1 through 6, Lamentations 3, 19 through 26, and 55 through 58. And then we also include 2 Corinthians 1 talking about the God of comfort. And that might even be helpful a little bit later down the line. But for example, in Lamentations 3, just to give a quick outline of that, we focus on the faithfulness of God in loss, the faithfulness of God in suffering. And so we talk about God's love is a faithful love. We talk about how your faithful God is your greatest good. When you feel like Everything has been lost. 
all has been ripped away from you. The Lord is still there. He is still your portion. And we discuss that. We talk about how our Redeemer is always faithful, that even through the darkest hours, he remains faithful. And we just delve into those and help the reader to see what she can share with another believer, just even on those points. But one of the things that we do emphasize at some point in the book is the importance of using passages of scripture with the grieving that the Lord has used to comfort your own soul. Your friend, she knows you. She knows what you've been through. She knows your personality. She knows your ups and your downs. And so she knows your history. In time, you're able to share with her the passages of scripture that have been a comfort to you. So in my experience from the Old Testament, Psalm 103 has been very important to me. And 2 Corinthians 4 from the New Testament has been very instrumental in my life. And so the thoughts from those chapters or the phrases from those chapters are something that I can use in my conversation with friends who are grieving or going through other issues. There is one other thing that I wanted to mention that I learned from my friend that she taught me as we were discussing her grief at one point. She said to me, that there had been something I said to her about a year after her son's death that she would not have been able to hear from anyone else, but she was able to hear it from me because she knew I was invested in her life. And she said, if someone else had said that to her, even at that point, it would have been too hard to hear it from someone else. And so I asked her, I said, well, what was it that I said? I don't remember what that was. And she said, you said to me on the phone one day, God is good. Now, to us, that doesn't sound like a very big sentence, not a heavy sentence. But at that moment for her, that was a huge sentence. God is good. And I just wanted to point out that as someone is going through grief, there's certain truth that they can take at certain times and not at other times. And she explained to me that some of those things that she could hear at 12 months, she couldn't hear at one month. And so just keep in mind as a gracious friend, are you just in tune with that person? Are you being patient? You don't need to shove biblical truth down her throat. You need to trust the Holy Spirit that he is teaching her. He is comforting her. And then in his perfect time, he's bringing to remembrance those things that she needs. And, as you, and if you as a friend can just come along and when she brings those up, you reinforce those and you maybe even share additional scripture that bring out those truths. That will be a, a great help to her. That was a really helpful in, insights there. And I'm just so thankful that you, you shared as much as you did there, because I think in particular, meeting someone in their weeping is for me, even though I've experienced a lot of weeping in my own life is probably one of the more challenging more challenging things because i think just as we as friends or parents or spouses or wherever we're at you know we want to fix we want to fix someone's problem we we see them hurting we say what can i do to alleviate this and and some um sometimes tears just can't they don't work that way so just viewing our friend as a soul to care for and love rather than a person who needs our fixing i think it's just a really again another evidence of being a gracious friend and being humble. Also, that's the word that keeps coming up in this conversation as you're talking is like, this takes humility. This takes the humility of Christ permeating through us into those, you know, who we're ministering to. So Caroline, um, you closed the book out by guiding the reader to 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 5. I'm going to just read that. And that says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. And so I wonder if you might speak to that, because you offering this scripture in particular as an encouragement to those who maybe don't feel quite ready or equipped to share biblical truths with another person in the ways that we're talking about in this conversation or that you address in this book, especially when that person's really having a hard time. So how does that scripture encourage that person who is you know, really still not sure if, if they're ready to be able to serve in this way? Yeah, I think it's helpful to remember that 
Paul said that in that his confidence is because of Christ in himself, in him. So if we can remember, we don't claim anything is coming from us, but it's actually God speaking through us. We're just instruments. We're broken vessels, fragile. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. We'd be waiting for that ultimate, like, I am now all collected and now I'm able to minister, which we want women ministering at every age to one another. We use the example of Moses because Moses throughout Exodus 3 and 4 is constantly telling God, I cannot do this job you gave me. I cannot do it. I can't speak. I, who am I? He says in Exodus 3.11 that I should go to Pharaoh, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. But God answered, but I will be with you. And again and again, it's God showing his power through the signs. It's God showing Moses that he will walk alongside. And in chapter 4, verse 10, he says, Moses says, oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And many women could say that. I'm not really a talker. I don't think well on my feet. How can I even tell anybody I have never learned these lessons completely for myself? But the answer is in 11. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. The uh, woman who's listening may say, well, that's fine for Moses. He had a big job to do, and he knew God had to help him. But we each have a big job to do, building up the body of Christ. Each one of us is essential. We're not extraneous body parts that aren't important. Each one needs to help one another. And just to say, that's what IBCD is for, is training and helping us by learning from others who've been there before, but also we who do counseling will be better off and have fewer cases if we have women in the body ministering on some of these essential issues because we're, we're like the triage and sometimes we're saying, you need to find a woman in your church to talk to you regularly. I can't be that for you. I'll help with emergency situations, but you need a, a godly wife to watch and to ask her those questions. You need someone uh, who's dealing with a wayward child in your church. And you go to that woman and ask her to mentor you. So we want women to be actively working with each other and with the confidence that God is going to use them and work through them. Awesome. You know, it's so funny that we bring up this particular passage in scripture because I have been reading a commentary from Crossway on 2 Corinthians just as part of my own personal Bible study. And there was a fantastic quote by the author. His name, R. Kent Hughes, is the one who wrote this particular commentary. And he said, I mean, basically mimicking the same or uh, reinforcing the same idea. He says, if God is calling you, do not hide behind your weakness. Is follow God and he will use your weakness as an occasion for his power. It was the way, it was this way for Moses and for all the prophets and for the apostles and for all who follow in their stead. Everyone who serves the Lord, God uses people who are weak because of their unique ability to depend on him. And so I thought that was just such a good word for when we're feeling super inefficient because we are, <laughs> you know, we are in our, in our own selves. And even I love Cheryl, maybe you can speak to this. I think this is a good uh, segue to this, one of these last questions. Um, we are insufficient. We are not this person's savior. You say in the book, there's only one savior and you're not him. And so why is it important for us to remember that as we are trying to speak the truth with grace to those we love? Well, we as women are always fixing something, right? <laughs> we're fixing uh, dinner. We're fixing something that's broken in the house, something that the kids have broken. We're fixing the schedule for the family. We're fixing, we're fixing, we're always fixing. And uh, sometimes we try to fix each other. Sometimes we try to save someone. We, we know that we can't save them. God's the one who saves them. But, but maybe we 
interact with them in such a way and we worry in such a way that, oh, that's on my shoulders. No, we can't save someone. We try to change people. We try to make them what we think is better or like this or like that. Well, you know what? The fixing, the saving, and the changing, that's not our job. Those are responsibilities that God never intended to be on our shoulders. Christ, that's Christ's job. And we, under Christ, are simply called to speak his truth to one another. And he will use his word to accomplish those things. And so, I love it when Christ says, I will build my church. It's definite. It's his church. He says he will do it. And we know he will. And our responsibility is to live out the one another's within his church. And the main one another that we focus on is speaking his truth and love to one another. And so since Christ is the savior, it is our responsibility to point one another to him instead of trying to be the savior for one another, instead of trying to have people dependent upon us, we can be there to help and to love and to care for one another. But ultimately we need to be pointing them to Christ. That's so good. It's just a reminder too, even if we're the ones who are seeking encouragement from others to, to remember that the people even we're seeking for help are not our saviors, right? We can't be saviors of other people, but then also they're not our saviors. We can't put those expectations on them either. You know, Christ is our refuge and our friends and our family and even our counselors can, can comfort us and do those one another commands. But even then they're conduits of God's comfort. They're signs pointing to where we need to be taking ultimate refuge or taking our ultimate refuge in. And so that was just something that came up to me while you were speaking there, because it's something that I know I need constant reminders about as well. Well, we could go on and on, and I wish I could ask 10 more questions because this book is so rich, but we can't. So I'm going to close us out with something that I do at every episode of the Hope and Out podcast, which is to invite the both of you to speak directly to our audience. Now, there may be someone listening today who has a desire growing within them to be the kind of friend that is both gracious as well as able to share God's truth wisely as best fits the occasion. Or in other words, they just long to be the kind of friend who, as some translations have it in Isaiah 50 verse 4 read the friend who has a tongue of discipleship and so what encouragement would you offer this listener who wants to grow in this way but is not sure how to go about doing that well thank you for that question I think in some of the extemporaneous questions earlier we covered some of these ideas that we are to watch others who are gracious and imitate them that's what Paul says imitate me as I imitate Christ so we're looking for people around us who are able to teach us and just model this for us. Because some of us learn better by watching instead of reading a book, even though we want you to read our book. Um, you can ask someone to mentor you as well, to shadow them. And I often, when I'm meeting with counselees, I have a girls, young lady sitting and watching me. Like, how do I help somebody with this problem and that gives us a chance to talk about what's happening and gives them a chance to ask me questions i would just say humbly try to do it ask for help along the way from the person you're talking to cheryl did with her friend i'm sure she said i'd like to say this to you is now a good time or as i've just been ministering to my mother who recently was a widow i'm i'm watching for when is the right moment and saying, I'd like to share a verse with you. Is now a good time? And just telling her, reading a verse to her, or maybe saying, here's a verse that's really helping me right now. I'd like to read it to you. So uh, I think that we need to go back to where Moses was and say, I have the Lord with me. I'm going to try. Well, there's a lot I would love to say, but as I think about it, I, I want it to be very practical. When you are speaking with a loved one who, as we have said so far, is worried, wayward, weary, or weeping, remind her of God's promises. So the promises that God has given in his word to never leave her, to never forsake her, remind her of God's faithfulness, that he is our refuge and our strength in times of trouble, that he gives wisdom 
to the simple-minded. Just remind her of God's promises, whatever they may be, that apply to her situation. Remind her that God is powerful, that he is powerful to help her in her suffering to endure. He's powerful if she's struggling with sin to overcome that. And most importantly, I'd say remind her of God's presence, that he is with her, that no matter what she's going through, he is with her and will walk with her. And the amazing thing is that a lot of times she will know that God is with her because you are with her, that you are the person with the hands and the voice and the feet right there with her, and that God is using you to love her. So God is loving her through you. Like we said at the very beginning, just be willing, be available, and God will use you. Awesome. Thank you so much for those parting words of encouragement. I want to let the listener know, if you didn't hear it earlier, that we've got show notes for you, links to this brand new book. I would encourage you to check it out. It's called When Words Matter Most, Speaking Truth with Grace to Those You Love. And we also have links to other resources at IBCD. So if you scroll down to the show notes, click the link there, it'll take you to a page on our website where you can access all that information. And real quick too, Cheryl and Caroline, you guys both have websites, right? So if there's somebody listening to this show who wants to get connected with you and your ministry and other um, resources you might have available, where is the best place for them to find you online? I can be found at carolinenewheiser.com. And I can be found at cherylmarshall.com and on Instagram underscore Cheryl Marshall. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much again for taking the time to talk about this new book. Congratulations on it being launched. I know you've worked for a very long time to get this together, and I know that it is a labor of love um, and a sacrifice too. So I'm just so thankful for the Lord's work through you both so that whoever reads it can benefit from the wisdom that you have to share through God's word. And um, also just in observing your guys' examples of how you interact with people, because I think it's been just a tremendous blessing to me and I'm sure to many others as well. So thanks again for joining us for the show. Thank you. Thank you. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit ibcd.org forward slash hope and help. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode. If you enjoyed today's conversation, why not subscribe to the podcast? That way you'll be notified when new episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help podcast a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help podcast.